0: Good morning to each of you. I encourage you to have a Bible handy as we go through our lesson together this morning. The inspiration for this morning's sermon came to me yesterday morning. We were getting ready to take a short trip down to Columbus with Carla's parents, and while we were waiting on her to get the seats arranged correctly in the van. I looked down in the mulch bed and noticed there were a bunch of weeds growing up after I had just mulched and just got it looking nice, and there's those weeds again. So I crouched down and started to uproot a few of those while I was waiting and kind of sparked some of the thoughts that we're going to notice together today. We're going to begin by reading a passage in John 15. It's probably familiar to most of us, where Jesus here is talking about the concept of us being the branches and Him being the vine that we are connected to that nourishes us and allows us to be fruitful. He says in verse 1 there, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. So throughout the passage there, we find the concept of, we might say, planting and tending to something that is fruitful, something that is meant to be fruitful. Of course, the results that come when branches are not producing what is expected, but we see kind of this idea of tending to a garden or some other type of scenario where you have Something that is meant to look beautiful and produce good things. Um, and so the title of our lesson this morning is Yards of Wisdom. We're going to be thinking about some things that the Bible would have us to know that I think are kind of inspired by lessons we might learn as we think about taking care of our yards outside, especially in the spring and summertime. Of course, Really, it extends into the fall as well because then the leaves fall and you got to rake those up. And that kind of leads us to our first point this morning. The work is never done. As you think about your yard, the work is never done. You can go out there and you can get everything looking just perfect. And a few days go by and all of a sudden there's something else you got to go and, and repair or fix or more weeds have grown up or, you know, this tree fell over and you got to go take care of that. It just never stops, and sometimes it can be a little disheartening because you put so much energy and effort into it, and it looks nice for just a short period, and then you got to go back and, and tend to it again. But as you think about that concept, there's a lot of truth in that just as you think about our walk spiritually. The work is never done. We can get ourselves in a good situation spiritually, especially you think about somebody who's just obeyed the gospel, they've been cleansed of their sins, everything is great. But then if they don't maintain their faith, then things can very quickly degrade into a situation that is going to be detrimental and ultimately could even take what good had been accomplished and and snuff it out completely. As we walk with Christ, we constantly stumble. We identify areas that we previously had not really thought much about that need attention. It's a constant project. Your own soul is is a constant project. We have to constantly be mindful of its needs and recognizing, of course, that God is able to satisfy those needs and allow us to be what we should be. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus there, we're told, went about all of the cities and villages. And he was teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36 says that when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, it's one thing to think about our own selves and the constant maintenance, if you will, that is required to make sure that we are walking as we ought to walk, but also we have the larger picture of what we as the church are to be engaged in, and that is helping lost souls come to Christ. And that is work that truly is, uh, it is never done. There are always more souls that need to hear the gospel, more opportunities that come our way for the truth to be shared. And as Jesus explains here, oftentimes, sadly, the laborers are few. Those that are willing to put effort into that and to do what is necessary are few and far between. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6, we read here as Nehemiah is talking about uh, the progress that is being made. You recall Nehemiah was given permission to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem as the Israelites found themselves in captivity to their foreign um, uh, captors, we would say. And he talks here about how they were able to build the wall uh, in its entirety all the way around. It says they built it back up to half of its height. And he explains that the people had a mind to work. In other words, the reason that they were able to make such progress was because the people that were there that were engaged in this activity, they were determined to make progress, to accomplish what they'd come to do. They had a mind to work, and I think that we can learn a lot from this account, and what the people accomplished here, and their attitude. You know, you read through the book of Nehemiah and go through that entire story, there was a lot of opposition to what the Israelites were trying to do, even though they'd been granted permission to do it. There were several that came along that tried to frustrate their plans and discourage them, and Encourage them to give up rather than to complete what they'd come to do. But they had a mind to work. And so the question might be asked of us, do we have a mind to work? As you think about your own life, and again, not only in application to your own self, but as you think about your interaction with others and sharing the gospel, being a light. Do you have a mind to work? We need to develop that. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. In other words, put in your best effort. Be the best you can be. These are maybe cliche phrases that we hear so often, but the Bible reiterates those same thoughts because it is important that we recognize the need for these things. It says, there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. We have to work while it is yet day, while we have the opportunity to accomplish good for our master. One of the interesting things I was thinking about in connection with this overall thought, this idea that the work is never done. Sometimes we kind of imagine, well, we work until the end of our lives, and then we go on and and we rest, right, in, in that fair and happy land as the song goes. But really, if you study what is revealed to us about heaven, we come to find that really we're going to continue to work. Now, it will be a place of rest, sure. It will be a place where we are free of, of tears and sorrow and suffering. But you notice here in Revelation 7 and verse 14, where this elder was showing these different things to John in his vision, he sees these ones that are arrayed in these white robes and he's explaining that these are the ones who have come out of great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And notice it says, therefore they are before the throne of God and notice they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. And so it's the idea that those in heaven, those that are around the throne of God for all eternity, still serve him. And so we should develop that mind to work, recognizing that if we are blessed to enter that heavenly home, we will continue to work in the service of our king. Another thing that came to mind as I was thinking about these things is that it's easy to grow weeds. You ever notice that? In fact, you don't even have to put any effort into it at all. You can just kind of sit back and the weeds will come. <laughs> they they will come. You know, with any kind of good plant that you want, you know, whether it's a flower that you want there to look nice and pretty or whether it's some kind of fruit tree or something that you're planning to, you know, reap some kind of benefit from as far as sustenance or something of that nature, you know, you got to dig and you got to plant, you got to put all this energy and And to maintaining those things and watering them, make sure they get everything that they need so that they grow up. But the weeds, though, it's just like, they can be the worst conditions imaginable. And, well, here we are! You know, and they're just flourishing. And it's just amazing. It's frustrating. But I was thinking about that in the sense of our lives. You know, if we just kind of sit back and go with the flow and do whatever seems right, you know, it's easy to to grow weeds, if you will, in our minds to have evil thoughts and things that we shouldn't be entertaining. Those, Those will readily come. But when it comes to cultivating that which is good, there's a lot of effort required, a lot of energy that we have to exude to accomplish that and to keep the weeds out. Of course, we know that we have Adam to blame. Well, Adam and Eve. They're the the reason we have the weeds at all as far as physical weeds are concerned. We go back to Genesis chapter 3 there and we can read about the punishment that came as a result of man's choice to rebel against God's commandments. He spoke to Adam there. He says, because you've heeded the voice of your wife, you've eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you saying, don't eat of it. He says, "Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return." And so physically, these weeds came as a result of sin, and of course, spiritually, we, we see the same truth applies. I'd like us to come back to the book of Numbers for just a moment. That's a book we don't visit all that often, but here in chapter 33, the book of Numbers, some instructions are being given to the Israelites in regards to their conquest of Canaan, the promised land, this being conveyed through Moses. We read there in verse 50 that The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. He said, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you will drive out, or you shall drive out, all the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, demolish all of their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. You shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance and to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. There, uh, there everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. In verse 55 he says, if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and notice thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So you can kind of think about this in the sense of God's almost like, here's this garden that I'm giving you. And I want you to go in there and I want you to get all those weeds out of there. You don't let any of them remain, because if you do, they're going to come back and they're going to be a, a, a pain, and it's going to ultimately cause me to be displeased with you. And of course, he's talking about the spiritual wickedness that these nations were practicing. God had given them ample opportunity to repent, to turn from those things, but they persisted, and so now God, through his people, is going to bring judgment. Now, of course, we know that the Israelites, when they went in, there were some instances where they permitted some of those people to remain, didn't they? And that caused problems down the road, as God had said it would. But we can also think about this in the sense of our own mind, our own soul and spirit. When we become Christians, the idea is that we're repenting of our sins, which means that we're going to cleanse all that evil out of there. And we're going to throw it away. Have you ever... Had a a place where you're trying to prepare, whether it's you're going to put mulch down or something of that nature. And you go in and you you have to weed everything out, right? What happens if you don't get the roots out of those when you're pulling up those weeds? You say, I'll just get everything on the surface here that I can see. Just rip all that out of there and it looks nice. We're ready to go. (laughs) What happens? Well, when the root's still in the ground, then everything comes right back, right? And then you've got to do it all over again. And so I was thinking about that in a, in a spiritual sense. We we have to do the same thing, don't we? With our own minds, our own thoughts, our own lives. Sometimes we just get what's on the surface and we cast it aside, but then we don't actually get the root. And then those things come back. And just like what God is talking about with the Israelites here, you know, this is going to come back and it's going to cause you problems. Well, it does the same thing for us, doesn't it? Proverbs 15 and verse 19. Here it talks about the importance of being active so as to prevent uh, sin, in essence, being in our lives. It, again, it takes effort. And so, proverb writer here in verse uh, 19 of chapter 15 says, The way of the lazy man is, noticed like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. And so, in other words, somebody who's lazy, who doesn't want to put any effort into it, well their hedge is not going to be nice and pretty. It's going to be filled with weeds and thorns. Likewise, in chapter 24, verse 30, beginning there, he says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And he says, there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, he says, I considered it well. I looked on it and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So perfect illustration here of what we're talking about. Both in the physical sense and obviously in the spiritual application. We have to put that effort into maintaining what God has given us. and He's given us our soul and our spirit. Well, whatever we sow is what we're going to reap, is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 there. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. He who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. He says, let us not grow weary while doing good. And that's easy because as you think about, like I said, with those weeds... They just keep wanting to come back, right? You have to just keep working at it. And it can be exhausting, right? You you get to a point where you say, well, just forget about it. Just let the weeds have it. (laughs) I'm done ripping them out of there. But let us not grow weary in doing good. In due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. We need to remember that. The effort that we put in is worth it in the end. Another thing that came to mind as I was thinking about yard work and spiritual lessons that we can learn from that is that rain and droughts will come. And that can be frustrating, that can be disheartening. And of course, rain and droughts we might think about in the sense of difficulty, loss, temptation, these kinds of things. Obviously when it Rains and rains, and we've all been experiencing that here lately. Uh, sometimes it can make maintaining your yard uh, easy to do because, well, when am I supposed to get out there and do anything? It just keeps raining, right? Likewise, in a drought, it's, it's hard to keep things growing and things looking the way that they should and plants producing like they should when, when there's mm-hmm. not enough rain. But recognizing those things will come is the first step in learning to deal with them appropriately. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this idea here. In verse 24, beginning, he says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, obeys them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. He says, The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, they beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Obviously, the point here that we want to make is that both of these houses, obviously, they're built on different foundations and hence had different conclusions to their story. But the same thing came for both of them, didn't it? same rain, same floods, same wind, those things will come. And so the difference was, what is the foundation? And as we recognize the inevitability of difficulties in our own lives, these things will come, droughts, periods of too much rain, whatever it is, however we want to illustrate it. What matters is, what are we founded on? Are we founded on the sand, or are we founded on the rock that is Christ? Over here in 1 Peter chapter 4, in fact, we just read this this morning in our Bible class, but let's turn here again and read it together. Peter talks about these things. Starting there in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may uh, may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. If it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous one is scarcely saved. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Throughout this entire passage, Peter is highlighting the fact that... First of all, these trials, again, are things that we need to learn to expect, to anticipate. They will come, so we shouldn't be surprised by that. And likewise, he points out that we should learn to rejoice in these things, recognizing that the testing of our faith obviously produces positive things. And ultimately, when we endure these things in a faithful manner, we bring glory to our our Creator. And so, as he says there in verse 19, as we suffer these things, we need to commit ourselves to God. And we commit to Him by continuing to work towards good things, despite our circumstances. In Psalm 126 and verse 5, I came across this verse as I was studying and thought it appropriate to include. It says there simply, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And that kind of maybe applies to the overall lesson itself, but as we think especially about just the the fact that sometimes maintaining our lawns, so to speak, can be very difficult, it can be very frustrating, it can be very sorrowful. But if we keep at it, and we keep pushing on, pushing forward, then in the end, we're going to reap in joy. There might be tears along the way, but the end is going to be greater than we can imagine. One final verse on this point is in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4, where it says there, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And that verse in and of itself might seem kind of strange or perplexing, and what does that mean? <laughs> but have you ever... Been sitting in your house, and you look out, and you kind of look at your lawn, and, yeah, I probably should mow. But then you kind of look up in the sky, and, yeah, clouds are kind of dark over there. Yeah, it's probably going to rain. I'll just, I'll put it off, maybe to do it tomorrow. And you kind of come up with reasons to put things off. You ever done that? That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about somebody who's constantly, you know, they're well, you know, the wind... Mm, today's not the day. Hey, the wind's coming in from the north. It's just uh, not a good day for being out in the yard. You know what I mean? So we're going to wait and do that tomorrow. You know, the clouds are dark over there. It's clearly going to rain, so I should just uh, put that off. You know, th- Those kinds of people, uh, that, that ultimately leads to the lazy person that we were reading about earlier. The person who just gives up completely. Even though the rains come, even though the droughts are there, we face these difficulties, we still have to be determined. We can't let those things deter us, in other words, from continuing to press on to the work at hand. Sometimes you've got to mow when the grass is still wet. you just got to scrape the mower out when you're done. It can be done. Another lesson. Dull blades make the work more difficult. That applies to your mower. That applies to, you got some kind of machete and you're chopping down weeds in the, or whatever it is. The blade's dull, you're going to have a much harder time getting done what needs done. And that applies to us spiritually. When we're dull, we uh, find that what is needed of us spiritually is, is much harder to, to accomplish. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10, makes this observation initially. It says, there if the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But notice wisdom brings success. And that's what we're ultimately talking about. We're talking about wisdom versus a, really a lack of wisdom or a lack of knowledge. When we fail to exercise ourselves, to sharpen ourselves spiritually, using, of course, God's word to facilitate that, then we're going to have a much harder time accomplishing anything that God has instructed us to be accomplishing. Let's come over here to Matthew chapter 13. Here in this context, Jesus had just taught his first parable, and his disciples come to him after the fact and they're confused. They don't really understand what the meaning of the parable was, but they're also kind of confused as to why Jesus is teaching in this manner anyway. You know, why why are you speaking to them in parables? What's the point of that? Why don't you just speak plainly? And so Jesus has some things to say in response to that. In verse 10 there of Matthew 13. Disciples came to him. They said, "Why do you speak to them in parables?" And he answered, "Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given." For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And what's the reason for all this? Why are they in this particular state at all? Well... Verse 15 explains that, again, as he's quoting from the prophet. For, he says, the hearts of this people have grown dull. Notice that. Their ears are hard of hearing. They uh, have closed their eyes, lest they should see with them and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them coming back to the disciples here he says blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for surely i say many prophets and righteous men have desired to see what you see and did not and to hear what you hear and likewise did not hear it. so we can be just like the ones that jesus is talking about here we can we can become dull as far as our vision as far as our hearing and it's dulled when we stray from the, the narrow path and we start engaging in things that are contrary to God. It dulls our senses. And when we get into that state, it's obviously much harder to do anything that's good because we're, we're too distracted by all these other things. We're pulled away. One other verse that I thought of as... I was contemplating this particular point was in Ecclesiastes 27 and verse 17. Here it's again talking about the concept of sharpening something so that it is useful. And it says there is, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know, one of the ways that we can stay sharp, not only obviously staying engaged in the word of God individually, but when we work together, and we rely on each other we can help each other stay sharp you know that's the the whole reason that god designed the church as he did to be a body to be a family because we work better when we're together we help each other and oftentimes we get into the most trouble when we start thinking of ourselves as an island we don't need anybody else And so we need to remember to depend on each other and to utilize our relationship, our fellowship in Christ as a means through which we can remain sharp and useful to the master. Final point this morning is a well-kept lawn brings peace of mind. And I'm sure you've all seen, if you're not a dad, you've seen the dad who gets done mowing. I'll be, I'm guilty of this. You get done and you just kind of stand there and Looks good, yeah. You just kind of take it all in. You got everything looking the way you want it to look, and makes you feel good, doesn't it? Of course, you can apply that to many other things as well. You put a lot of effort into something, get it all done, you just kind of stand back and take a moment to appreciate what you were able to accomplish. By now, of course, you understand that when we're talking about a well-kept lawn, we're talking about Spiritual things this morning, we're talking about our soul, our spirit, when we are maintaining that as we ought to, when we're doing our very best to be what God created us to be, brings a lot of peace of mind. And the scriptures talk about that in various places as well. Let's come back here again to the book of Proverbs. Let's look at chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll start in verse 13. Read down through verse 26 here. Verse 13 says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her length of days is in her right hand in her left hand riches and honor her ways are ways of pleasantness all her paths are peace she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her the lord by wisdom founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens by his knowledge the depths were broken up the clouds Drop down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep, he says, will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble when the wicked Or from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. And will keep your foot from being caught. So we see here illustrated the security. The peace that comes when we retain God's wisdom. And we exercise that wisdom in our lives. In Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 12 it says. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. When we work hard, we have that mind to work like we talked about earlier. We're doing our very best. Keep those weeds out of our our garden, so to speak. Then it allows us to be at peace. Finally, turn back a few pages to uh, the book of Psalms. And let's read together the fourth psalm, Psalm 4. Relatively short little song, just eight verses. Verse 1 says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear. When I call to him, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness, he says, in my heart, more than in the season that Their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So here, again, another example of the psalmist as he is expressing the peace and the comfort that comes through dependence upon God and a dedication to accomplishing the work that we've been given to do. So that is our lesson for this morning. I hope that as we have thought on these things, that you found it to be beneficial. It's amazing how virtually anything you can think of in life, you can draw spiritual application from. Even something as simple as mowing your grass or weeding your garden, there are lessons there that we can learn and that we can be reminded of. And I think it's important that we make efforts to do that. We'll close this morning with Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, There sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord. So he comes and rains righteousness on you. Perhaps this morning, as you think about your own life, you recognize a number of deficiencies. You recognize a lot of fallow ground, if you will, that needs broken up, that needs tended. We know, of course, that there is but one solution to spiritual turmoil to the consequences of sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you need to repent. You need to turn away from whatever sin might be harbored in your soul, if that is the case this morning. You need to confess that. If we can pray with you and for you in regards to those things, we would certainly love to to do that and see you get back on the right track again. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might think about your life as, basically, if you want to think of it as as a picture, just imagine just a field full of weeds and and nonsense. It's not going to produce anything good. It's not going to lead to anything fruitful. But Christ can change all that. He can turn that Field of weeds and thorns into a garden that is fruitful and useful and well pleasing, not just to your own self and to others who have the pleasure of knowing you, but to God who created you to accomplish good and to be a a source of righteousness to his glory. This morning, would you be transformed by being baptized into Christ, having your sins washed away? Likewise, if we can help you in regards to those things, we would love to, to do so. Whatever your need would be this morning, we would just simply ask that you would express that. Let us know by coming up to the front at this time while we stand together and while we sing the song that our brother has chosen.